Gaming in BS, episode 282, being recorded Monday, February 24th, 2020. Welcome to Gaming in BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad everybody's here. Oh, Lord. So, Sean, we're, we're doing the Discord thing now where we're trying to do that as well. Is is anybody there? Yeah, Larry's there. Larry's there. That's awesome. I think Larry's in there. Okay. Neat. I think Larry's the only one in there. That's okay. So, so, it's, yeah. If they can make it, they can make it. If they can't, well, you know, that's okay. People got lives. And guess what? can always get us later. Exactly. That's the beauty of podcasting. So, Sean, you and I had, we had the old gaming BS board meeting on Friday. We did. We drank beer, had really good pizza. That was nice. We, yeah, board meeting. That's probably one of the better board meetings I've been to. In my professional career, I was in, it was interesting, interesting topics, good people. Two That's of my right. favorite people, you and me. And yeah, how many <laughs> board meetings can you go to and drink beer? Um, depends what company you work for, I guess, but yeah. That's very, very true. Ah, it was good. It was very good. Yeah. So, let me think here. Do, 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 we, is there anything we talked about there that you want to bring up? Uh, oh, for the board meeting? Yeah, from that. Yeah, yeah, we, I actually, we, I do. Okay, I do have something, it. yeah. Um, we are going to put out a survey patrons yes. actually might, might be everybody i don't know we haven't okay. de- i haven't decided all right brett and i have talked about it and we've come to the conclusion that we actually want to run of rpg yes after all <laughs> these years of, of talking about them we figured we should run them now we want to run them online we've been talking about running for patrons sean we've kind of taken a un an unorganized approach so what we want to do is wrap stuff around it. I remember the conversation. We want to get kind of word out to folks and say, okay, if we were to do this, what uh, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it's just one of those places where you can't please everybody. There's no way that of all of our beloved patrons and fans of the show, people who just listen to us and so forth, there's no conceivable way we'll be able to pick a date, a time, an event, a game, what, are, what have you that'll make everybody happy. But I think we can get some... Bumpers, parameters, borders, walls, whatever that we can operate within for our lovely little sandbox, and then we will see what we can do. So that's cool. Do you? Um, so you it's the- going to. First of all, we'll put out a. It's going to be a flow survey, which will be. Hey, are you interested in playing a game that Sean or Brett runs? Yes. No. If no, hey, it's done. Oh, that was nice. That's easy. Yeah. And if it's a yes. Then it goes to the next question, like, when would you be able to play? What type of, are you concerned with the system or type of game? Do you like Sean better than Brett? Do you like Sean better than Brett? And that is going to be a question. And trust me, there is not going to be any hard feelings. If everybody votes for me, Brett will not be mad. No, I won't, I promise. And vice versa. Sean will will cry, but I won't. uh, Well, 
I'll be okay. I he'll really be, will. He's, he's tough. He's tough. But the reason we want to do that is because we can understand the demand for either one of us so we can schedule appropriately and make sure we, we accommodate that, whatever that is. It's also easy to pull a switcheroo and disappoint the hell out of everybody when they're like, ah, oh, Kelly's running a game. And then that Brett guy shows up like, man, those guys, they suck. They screwed right. me. That's right. Yeah. Because we're all about a bait and switch. That's that's <laughs> what we kind of know. That's not what we're doing. Uh, so we're going to do that. I think that was really the big one. There's not going to be any major changes to the show in case you were like going to tune in and all of a sudden we're going to have this weird big format change. And No, um, the format change works, works well. Um, some feedback we've gotten, I think we've been able to incorporate kind of on the fly and I'm pushing, Sean and I are pushing back and forth on different topic ideas. <laughs> A lot of times it's been uh, not all Brett coming up with the topics, but want to make Sean has had a couple ideas that he wanted to chat through, so we listed those out. So we've got a couple of good shows already kind of in the works, and I'm pulling more and more stuff out of the forums. The other piece that we talked about that I'm going to do, and I know Sean has, is better at this than I am, but between the day job and the family life, sometimes I, quite frankly, forget to get into the forums as often as I would like. So our forums are pretty cool. Every time I'm in there, I have a good time reading what people posted. Everyone's been really just awesome, very supportive, and really good information and all that stuff. But I want to make um, make myself more of a presence there. Not that that's a selling point for anybody, but I feel like I should should do that. So I'm going to try to schedule some time every week where it's like, hey, you're spending a half hour and do this thing, whatever the case is, whether it's like, hey, I've got lunch at work. I'm going to make sure I hop in the forums and do something. For whatever reason, G Plus was easier to do. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just another website. But for some reason, G Plus was simpler, and I, or at least it was in my head. But I think uh, just use of the forum tool and whatnot, it'll, it'll replace it. Other than that, um, I can't think of anything major that would be worth putting out there for anybody to take note. I don't. No, everything else is just you and BSing about different stuff. Uh, we went over stats and stuff like that, but, uh, yeah, all pretty boring crap. The only thing else is I game this weekend. Yes. And, uh, if you – so I've posted it on Facebook, Instagram. Instagram is where it's hosted, mm-hmm. but I posted on the forums. I posted on Facebook and I think our Twitter accounts, actually. You caught Jeff in action, didn't you? I got I got Jeff on video in prime form. One is a minute thirty, and the other one is like two two minutes thirty. So they're not like ten minute long, you know, diatribes. But if you want to see how good I imitate Jeff, and this is not Jeff for the cameras, this is well, just Jeff. <laughs> it's not just for the cameras, but Jeff was full aware that I was recording him. Well, and, I, I know, I yeah. know, but I'm just saying I've. I met Jeff once in person, and I can I can tell you that's all Jeff. Yeah, he's not <laughs> hamming it up just because he's being recorded. Nope, this is the way he rolls. So we'll have links in the uh, show notes, and you can bask upon his glory. I love guys like that, man. Every like th- I saw something on twi- uh, Twitter today yeah. where a person posted, "Hey, if you could have anybody in the world play in your game, who would it be with?" And I can't remember who they said it would be. Um, uh, It was some famous actor 
actress. I can't remember. People usually do that, yeah. Yeah. For me, it'd be Jeff. <laughs> he's like, like who, man? Because Jeff's, like, he's all in. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, when he's doing that's the better when my crew is cooking and everybody's involved, they show up and we show up to game. Yeah, man. You know, we're, we're, we're there a game. If you're there for a four to six, eight hour session, like, we want a game this whole time. There'll be a little bullshit around there, like I say, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're here to game. Let's let's go. It's No distractions. Let's get in here. Enthusiasm, man. Like, I could get an actor or an actress at the table. Maybe not. But if they were, eh, yeah. I mean, it might be novel. Would but... they be into it? Right. Would they buy in? Would they, right. go, would they go Jeff deep? I don't think so. No. Are they really going to go in? No, they're not. No. Not going to happen. So hopefully you'll find your Jeff. And if you've got your Jeff, then... Thank the All right, make stars. a note. Make a note right there. That's a T-shirt. Have you found your Jeff? Have you found your that's, Jeff? That's a that's a T-shirt. I, I might want, have to pay that guy royalties. I don't care, soon. but I want Christ. that. I want that on a shirt. I want that on a gaming BS T-shirt. All right, fair enough. Let's get in a random encounter. Let's do it. I gotta get the rights to Jeff's image. All right, random encounter. Emails, voicemails, comments from social media and the forums. Uh, first one, we're gonna start off with DM Kojo as he ventures back. Into the back catalog. Hey guys, it's DM Kojo. Just wanted to call and say uh, how much I enjoyed your episode with uh, Tim DeShane on Swordsman and Saucers of Hyperborea. I have yet to play this game, although I am actually in one of Tim's games at Gary Con at the end of March. So I'm excited about trying it for the first time, especially with uh, Tim, who's uh, obviously a great uh, game master. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, still working through the back catalog as I also follow, of course, the current episodes, and I'm up to uh, the first of your players series. I feel like it's uh, show 128 maybe. And I noticed that there's three or four other players series episodes coming up as I go through the catalog, but um, that was about it. And, uh, I didn't see one for wizards, for example. I think I saw clerics and thieves and fighters and one for uh, games that, uh, don't use classes. But I'd love to hear more about wizards, uh, your thoughts on wizards and, uh, some of my favorite, uh, bards. Yes, it's true. I love playing bards when I play. Uh, it's one of my favorite classes to play. And, uh, you know, maybe demi-humans, um, and maybe even some modern spins for modern role-playing games about, uh, you know, playing different types of modern archetypes and classes. So, love to hear more thoughts on that, more player series in the future. All right, guys, take it easy, and we'll see you at GaryCon. Bye. Always a pleasure to hear from you, Kojo. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, man. We do have a, there is a Bards episode out there. Bards the Bardening. Yeah, we talked we talked about bards there, but it was not in the context of the player series per se. Actually, the idea of the bards episode kind of spawned the hey, we could do something similar to it might have been bards for role playing or something along those lines was the title of that one. But anyway, love the idea. I'm in the uh, in the schedule right now. Player series wizards, modern PCs. All right, cool. Notes are made. Hopper's Hopper has grown. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Appreciate Kojo, it. yeah. Yeah, very cool. You can read. All right. Uh, first one, Matt V. Matt, for a little while, man, I thought we lost you. He's still with us, lurking in the shadows. And now he comes out and makes a comment. Nice. On Brett's new approach to his upcoming, upcoming game, 
My quote-unquote favorite campaign length has changed a lot over time. Most APs, actual plays, are made for about 50 sessions of four hours each, give or take 50 hours. So they end up lasting about a year if you do weekly four-hour sessions. That's more or less how all, actually, AP or Adventure Path, I don't know, either one. That's more or less how all the games I played or ran were for the better part of my gaming experience. I've played in one weekly campaign, hit two years, but that was the longest. Never had an epic 15-year campaign, though it sounds cool. Over the last 10 years, I have really moved to a shorter campaign structure, so my acceptable range has dropped from about 8 to 24 sessions, with 12 to 16 being the optimal range for me. I was lucky enough to be a player in six-session campaign a couple years back, and that was fine by me. The story was well played out, and prolonging it likely would have made it worse. I definitely agree with Sean. Hey! It should be no longer than it needs to be, even if that is short. Even if I'm running an AP, I'll cut it to what I consider relevant content. Adventure Path. It's got to be. Yeah, it's got to be. Let's talk about Adventure Path before. Every campaign I've ever seen, which is well into the double digits, has a lot of unnecessary fluff. Usually I'll cut them down to about 15-ish sessions. I've never had anyone complain that it felt rushed or was incomplete. I generally know within one to two sessions how many sessions it will take to run the entire campaign. For instance, in my recent Shadowrun game, I knew each run would take one session, with the main story runs taking two sessions. Of course, a TPK can always end it early. Smiley face, wink. But even less precise games I can usually pinpoint pretty well. I've really moved to an episodic style over the last four or five years, so try and keep each session very precise. I'll move it out if I need to, but really like the episodic playstyle. I ran a similar kind of thing as Brad is talking about. I ran a lot of side missions for players via Skype. Most of the players would do an entire mission in between every session or two. It was a lot of fun. It's something that would be cool to revisit someday, but I just don't have the time at this point in my life. I was spending an additional 10 to 15 hours per week just taking care of side business with players and expanding on those details. I know a lot of my players really enjoyed it, and I really did too, but for me, it was very time exhaustive. Hopefully, I'll get to retire someday and can get some sick gaming like that again. Yeah, the time intensity of, uh, of of some of that stuff can be pretty crazy if you don't put a boundary on it. You know? And I remember in the past running the side sessions or the small stuff and whatnot, it was like, okay, we'll take this, take this, take this to a certain point. And then I'm like, okay, I am done talking to Lenny about this thing. And be like, okay, this is where we end. We will get back together and, and the group as a whole and continue on. That makes sense. I think what's interesting, too, is when Matt talks about cutting out the fluff from some of the um, Adventure Path stuff. That's interesting to me because, you know, him being able to do that and have his group really like it means that he knows his group really well. He knows what is fluff, not only to him, but to the group. What would be a distraction? What wouldn't be necessary? Basically acting kind of as an editor for the group right out of the gate up. you know, pre-editing the the story that they're all going to tell together and saying, look, we don't even need to talk about this stuff because that's not the cool pieces. These are the cool things that we know everyone's interested in. So that's pretty neat. I like that idea. 
Yeah, I'm glad you chimed in, Matt. Man, I I was worried about you. Thanks for still being alive and still listening. That's good stuff. No, yeah. thank you, sir. That's awesome. All right, and we got Jared Rasher up next. He comments on average damage technique. I just want to chime in on the average damage discussion because I totally use the average damage listed in the Monster Manuals in 5e. There are two reasons for this. As a DM, I'm juggling a lot, and honestly, it frees up a lot more cognitive load at the time than you would think once you start doing it. And two, I ran enough sessions of Pathfinder where a really scary, dangerous monster continually rolled super low damage and the counter turned into a cakewalk. Yes, this can happen to players as well, but it's the same math that affects a lot of RPGs. <clears throat> players are rolling a lot more dice than you are as a DM. Your chances as a DM to roll low and not do something impressive with your boss fights are way higher than the entire table of PCs rolling lower for all of their characters. Plus, there are still fun moments, like when my big hulking ogre scored a critical hit and I did less damage on than an average on a crit, excuse me, than I did less damage than average on a crit than I would have with a normal attack because my dice really like to roll twos for some reason. <laughs> That's funny. I can see, I've talked to other people who've said it, um, you know, where they, where Bruce is like, no, I don't like average damage. You know, I don't like that. And where Jared says he likes a lot of the reasons that Jared just listed are reasons that I hear people who like it really, really do want to utilize it. So, I think it's like one of those many, <laughs> like, as, as Sean is fond of saying, it does depend, you know, what works for you, what works for your crew, and what are people willing to tolerate. So, I like that. I think there is, there's something to be said, especially for large mobs of things to to roll out an average damage to speed things up. There's definitely something to be said for that, in my opinion. All right, back to you, sir. All right, Corey, man of war, comments on astonishing swordsmen and sorcerers, hyperborea. That's the official title for me. Yes, that's nice. Come on, <laughs> Jeff. Couldn't you shorten it? <sighs> Anyways, after having listened to this episode, I'll have to provide some clarification to Fofford's comments since he mentioned me. The issue in question was a Gary Khan game run by someone who will remain nameless before the second edition hardcover came out. So we are working with the first edition Spiral Bound books. In this particular game, which was an evening game, we all showed up to the table, and that's where stuff went wrong. Oh, right from the get-go. Not good. First of all, the referee slash GM, etc. Let two walk-ons join the table. I'm not against that at all, because at my games I run at conventions, I always have at least one additional pregen for precisely that purpose. However, at this game, there was no pregens. We were told we had to make 7th level characters. The only two people who had the player book from 1st edition, Astonishing Source of Hyperborea, were me and the ref. <laughs> He left his book on the table, and I picked a fighter to quickly make a PC so I could pass the additional book around to those who needed to make a pregen. At this time, the ref decided it was a good time to spend about 45 to 55 minutes away from the table to not answer questions and let us have at it. We didn't start actually gaming until an hour and 15 minutes after the event start time, and with that... A lot of people still had issues about resolving things from a 7th level character gen standpoint. 
The rails were much stronger than the worst things Sean could throw at us, as things in the beginning were as rigid as a straitjacket. Corey, you haven't played in one of my games, buddy. (laughs) I I take that as a personal challenge, actually. Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not a good one. Probably not a good challenge at all. No. To make things worse, as we concluded, a few players had to leave because they had an event in the next hour block. Something that could have been avoided if there was real pre-gens. So the rest of us stumbled on as we could for the next hour, something only possible because the table wasn't scheduled for another event. Then, as the conclusion, the ref just narrated out what happened since we were running late. Despite the complete ignorance slash willful disregard of us having to make seventh-level characters, including magic items with an almost no books or referee input because the ref was away from the table. That's, that's my capture awesome you, Corey. That's an awesome story. That's uh, I can see I can see Corey telling me this story. I was thoroughly disappointed with this gaming session. <laughs> what? Shocking. No way. And resolved to never play again in this particular person's games and avoid that person when I see that name show up as the DM GM referee ever since. But to end on a good note. I have played with Jeff T. He's the uh, he's the author of Astonish Me Sorcerer of Hyperborea. Yes, Jeff Telanian. Yeah, Telanian. And many others who work on the game, and I run a home game for it also. If any of you wish to read my foolish attempts to write it up, here it goes. And then he has a uh, link to the forums where I think he sums up uh, one of the games that he runs. I haven't read it, Corey. I apologize, but... Anyways, we'll we have, have a link we've in the talked show about pregens. Yeah, we've talked about pregens at games before, and it, so astonishing swordsman sorcerers of Hyperborea is first edition AD and D. It's not as fast to make second a character. edition. Is it a second edition? No, it's first. It's first edition. Man, the Shane said it was like second. No, it's got second components, but its core oh. is very much like first. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I didn't listen to the episode I was on then. Oh, Jesus. Tim, Tim, <laughs> right. Tim, when we get to here, come on, just going to hold him down and you just start hitting. Oh, um, my God. It's that going to be so fun. Anyway, Woo. it's not hard to make a character per se. However, when you, I mean, I'm talking first level character. If you've never played the game before, and oh, by the way, and you do have questions as a seasoned player, but like, do you want us to roll average? Do you want us to roll hit points or do you want us to have average number? Do you want us to roll our stats or do you want us to do what? Um, any classes outlawed? Does it matter where we're from? Yeah, blah blah blah. Trying, you know, good players trying to get into the game to make characters proper fit for the event. And every time you do that above seventh level, it can get trying because there's more options and more features that you can choose or pick as you go along. Sometimes, and man, what a hey! Can I multi-class? Someone's going, oh Jesus Christ! You gotta, you gotta. The best way to do that, excuse me. Um, Drinking carbonated beverage, not good when podcasting. Um, I think the best way to do it, if you can, which would take some effort, but once you have it down, you could just do it anytime, anywhere, any place with any system, is if you figure out how to level up to a specific level very quickly, it would be, okay, choose five things from this list. From this list, to uh, choose 
three things. Yeah, right? you need a game master other than this person who is much more involved and prescriptive with those decision making process, giving you a giving you a thing to do. Well, and he should have. I don't hold on. Let me read Corey's thing here just a second. Uh, first time walk ons. So walk ons. Oh, so the whole game, he says there was no pre gens. Um, then you should at least post, hey, character generation is going to be part of the event. Yeah, if that wasn't, it sounds like Corey, when he signed up for that, that was not clearly delineated in the game's write up. Oh, I, I can imagine. Um, so I would say that's part of it. And frankly, as a con game and as a game master, you, I would not not do pre-gens unless it's something where, like Mothership maybe, because it would probably take 10 minutes, and it would be kind of cool to go through. Some people like, hey, I'm going to go play the game, but it would be really kind of cool to pl- create the character because then I can get play, a real in-depth play, idea of how it rolls. Yeah, so Dungeon World. It's fast to make a character. Right. When I sat down when Sneezak ran it for me and Flanagan, and Kevin was there. And anyway, we sat down, went, okay, boom, 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 build your bonds together. And we made them like bam, bam, bam. I'd never played it before, never played the system before. Easy. And to me, that was part of that experience. But that game is built that way. This one is not. <laughs> no. Well, no. But yeah. But I'm saying if you want to make pre gen a part of the game, uh, well, first of all, if you're running a con game, have pre-gens. If you're not going to have pre-gens, announce it. If you're going to announce it, have a purposeful reason for not having pre-gens. And yes. maybe it's just to the experience. And provide guidance while at the table. Don't walk away for an hour, practically. Yeah. Let people and ha- just have the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. Bring a book. Like, hey, bring a book. We're going to create pre-gens. Having, if you own the book, please bring it. It would be helpful. Or you better know. bring PDFs, photocopies, something. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, thanks, Corey, for sharing that. I appreciate it. We don't hear from you a lot, but uh, you're on the forums, and that's a damn good story. <laughs> we we love the man of war. All right, let's get into the main topic, shall we? Let's do it. Na, 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 you ready? Dude, I'm ready, man. I was just practicing. Okay, good. (laughs) All right. So sometimes what we're going to talk about here is practice. And, you know, sometimes there's basically no shortcut for experience. When uh, Tim Desheen was on talking Astonishing Swordsman, Sorcerer's Hyperborea, we talked about this a bit. And one of our listeners had written in about mechanics that help enable role-playing. And... We kind of threw it out there where I think Tim and I at least agreed like, hey, there's really no compromise for experience. And I started thinking about that more in my mind. And I remember, you know, you have to keep trying and keep practicing to become good at something, you know, whether it's basketball, baseball, um, coding. My network engineers, the ones that are really good at stuff, have been doing it for a long time. They practice all the time or they're taking classes and so forth. The guys... um, the men and women I know that are writers, they work at it, right? And I've heard it said, and I can't remember the source, but that to become proficient, you need 10,000 hours at a thing, which is a long goddamn time. 10,000 hours? 10,000 hours Yeah, it's... of practice to become who do, who truly professional that? and proficient. I cannot remember who. Yeah, there, it's like a book. Like you, it is. I don't remember. So what do we... 
I, I tried to find it, but I couldn't. I could not recall who it came from. Anyway, and I thought about that. I'm like, does that really apply to RPGs, game masters, and players and stuff? I've been doing this for a long time. I started out in third grade, slowly but surely, working my way up to where I am now. I think I do fairly well at what I do. I've gamed with Sean. Sean does well. And Sean's had a lot of experience. And I think experience plays. But there's a way to, from a game, even as a player, I mean, having experience doing something, but then trying while you're doing it. So hopefully we can get into these bits and pieces here. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of RPGs, Sean, they do their best to try to shorten the learning curve when it comes not only to running or playing a specific game, but sometimes for RPGs in general. And some of the really rules light games, some of the simple ones, um, I, I think try to try to do that and some of the mechanics that you'll see in certain games, like, you know, Gym intrusions, for instance, in uh, Cypher System. There, it's a mechanic that's built in to try to help enable players, game masters, to have a certain type of interaction. That I have said, you know, kind of offhandedly, that I I don't need that. I just do that anyway. Now, truth be told, though, the only way I figured out how to just do that anyway is from figuring out after many years of trying different things, pieces and parts, and failing at some of those pieces and parts, right? Like, hey, I want to do something more interactive. I'm going to inject myself here because I think this would be a great opportunity. Well, that was wrong. I fucked that up. How, um, how, how should I do that differently? And I think those books and those those games and the things they're putting out, the short kind of shortcuts, if you will, are really cool. I mean, that's what podcasts are about, right? I mean, Sean and I joke, you know, we could say the podcast is basically, you know, talk to people. Have grown-up conversations and practice. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Mic drop. Right. <laughs> makes what? For, makes for kind of a boring podcast. But I think we actually are trying to do a similar thing that many podcasters do in a lot of different spaces. I'm trying to short help shortcut things so that people can bypass the mistakes or issues that you and I have run into. You know, hey, I want to help you learn fast. You tracking with me, Sean? Does this make sense? Yeah. And I think, you know, we got YouTube channels, actual plays, seminars. I mean, most of the major conventions I've ever go to have tons of different seminars. And as Robin and Ken would say, almost every panel that they're on turns into a how to better game master panel. Doesn't matter what the purpose of the panel is, it turns into how to be a better game master panel every time. And it's you've got to put the time in to become good, better, prolific, et cetera, at stuff. So that's kind of my thing that's been in my head. I just want to kind of put that together as as a holistic thought, or at least a start of a thought. So, Sean, when I say when I say all that to you, we talked about a little bit in person on Friday. What does what do you think about this? Do you think I'm full of shit, or ten thousand hours is crazy, or there's I guess what what does this what does this bring to your mind? Well. So the 10,000 hours thing, I believe, comes from Malcolm Gladwell. That's it. As discussed in his bestseller, Outliers. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank we'll you. have a link in the show notes to our affiliate on Amazon. Please buy 30,000 copies so we can make $3. <laughs> exactly. That'd be great. Um, That's part of that game, gaming and BS retirement fund right there, people. Practice... Yeah, I don't know. 10,000 hours in the RPG industry? Uh, or anything for that matter. Um, that's a lot. 
It is a lot. What is 10,000 hours? That's five years, a little less than five years. Yeah. 40 hours a week. So you're going to hire somebody to uh, be a recruiter. How long have you been recruiting? Oh, I'm really good. How long have you been recruiting? I just started. Yeah, well, that's how a long bad you been? How long have you been recruiting? Six that's months. A, that's a bad How long have ex- you been recruiting? Five years. That's, that's a bad How long example. have you been recruiting? 15 years in the IT space, specializing that's, in. That's a bad example, Brett. All right. I'll yeah. tell you why. Because nobody knows what the hell they're doing when they're rec- <laughs> recruiting. Trust me. Been doing right. this for 16 years. So let's put on the flip side. I want to hire a network admin. Yeah. I got, a, I got a lady who applies, and she's got 15 years of experience. She specializes in Wi-Fi environments for warehousing and uh, manufacturing distribution. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, she'll be doing that up. all 15 years? Yeah, look, look, look at the job. Look what she's been doing. Look at the resume. Wow, she's got all this great experience. Yeah, but t- that, that long ago, she was probably dealing with shit that's not even around anymore. Yeah, but she's kept constant with it. Look at this. She has all these projects. Blah, hey, blah, man, blah, blah, blah. I got guys that have worked on punch cards. Doesn't make their rocket scientists. All right. So somebody who, because they just started gaming now as a yeah. game master. I, there's ones that are out there that could be- game master better than people that have been doing it for more than 10 years. Of course they can. Yeah. But I believe that natural instinct and talent is only going to take you so far. What? You still need to practice, dude. Beauty, what is it? Beauty fades, dumb, or no. <laughs> beauty Be- fades, dumb as be- forever? Beauty, what? beauty fades, dumb as forever. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Judy. I think she wrote a book called that. She may have. I know she did. But you get what I'm saying, though? I mean, let's take take the 10,000 hours out, right? This is just a, an example. Yeah. Whoa, sorry. Um, but I think there's a there's a piece there's a piece in my mind that there's some wisdom in that idea that you have to practice at this. We talked about this before when people are like, hey, I, I'd like to know how to do funny voices in my game. I'd like to use audio sound or this, that, and the other thing. We can give... Sean, I can say, this is what we would do if we were you. We've tried this. We found this works. I tried these three things. They fucking bombed abysmally. If I were you, I wouldn't do that. I think the flip side of that advice is, is that when we say that, this did these three things did not work for either Sean nor Brett. They might work perfectly fine for you. I don't know. Right? So I'm telling somebody I wouldn't do this thing because I have examples of why it failed for me. Somebody else may be like, oh, yeah, but I know how to make that work. Or I want to try it anyway. I've got kids. You don't have kids, Sean. And you can tell a kid a thousand times don't do a certain thing, but they're going to go out and learn it on their own anyway because experience is a really good teacher. But when somebody wants to do something in a game, whether it's like, you know, I want to I want to play on an RPG. I've never been it before. I don't know what to do. You got to try. You got to get out there and you got to play. Did you have fun? Yes, that was a good time. Boy, I really didn't seem to understand the game, but I had fun. You need to keep playing. You need to keep trying. You need to keep playing that game or different games or whatever it is so that you can get better at it and become a better player. You're sitting there at the table watching guys like Jeff get really into character and like, wow, and that, that's really cool for you. And you think, man, that dude is having so much fun. How? What, what would I have to do to be like Jeff? Take a lot of drugs, drink a <laughs> lot of booze. <laughs> or what would I have to Just do? Just kidding. To... My buddy Jeff does not <laughs> no, take new drugs. No, no, no. no. But what I have to do to be like that, that, that person I'm game with who's basically, you know, damn near, you know, theater level thespian. This person is amazing. What would I have to do to do that? How could I be, you know, X, Y, and Z? Do you really want to be like Matt Mercer? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Um, but there have been, Matt Colville said this um, a while back. Somebody, he has received feedback 
from the games he streamed that it, because he is not a trained actor, he has no business streaming or being a game master at all. Yeah, but there's always one dipshit that's going to say something completely stupid and ridiculous. I know. But what I'm saying is that you to get good at something, you need to practice it. And if you have an aspiration like, hey, I want to play basketball like like Jordan, I'm not going to be able to. Well, I right? think there's – yeah, I, I agree, but I think there's a difference between uh, – there's a small caveat to the role-playing thing, the role-playing game what thing. What is that, Sean? There's creativity behind it, and I don't think that's always – you can't – I don't think that is a component that can be – Practiced? It can be practiced, but I don't think it's the same. Like if I go and play basketball and I'm shooting free throws and I shoot a hundred free oh, throws yeah, every muscle, night, there's muscle memory versus versus um, mental practice, right? There's things. yes. So some of the things that I think that comes with ten thousand hours or practicing things has to do with repetition, and the repetition leads to expertise or what have you. And I do agree that there is a component of that with role playing games, no question. Oh, but I also yeah, but I also think that the creative process, it's like writing a book. Yes, you can become very good at writing a book, but there's also a component where you have to come up with something fresh. So your grammar, right, or your sentence structure or the way you convey your ideas may come out of writing five books or doing 10,000 hours of writing, mm -hmm. right? We get, mm -hmm. I yep. get that, yep, yep. but you still got to have the ideas to be able to come out and produce that I would, material. I would say that in a creative endeavor like that, the more you practice, the better you will get at being creative. Yeah, You're going to get better at it because you're going to put yourself in situations where that is what you need to do. Yeah. So my best, my best network engineers... Are men and women that I work with. They're like, I know. I try huh. to recruit them all the time, Brett. I know. They like working for me. They're not coming. They're not leaving. I keep Brett honest. That's my job. I know. They won't leave if they like where they work and who they work for. The minute you F up, Brett, I'm there to scoop <laughs> them up. Sweep it up. I know. I got the angel of death, <laughs> a.k.a. Sean Kelly, ready to reap my poor engineers right up underneath me. That's right. But getting in creative situations where you look at something and go, wow, um... Huh, how the hell do they have that set up? What's that like? Oh, wait a minute. How do I, hang on a second, let me figure this out. Experience teaches you how to become creative in implementing yes. solutions that you've learned. Right. Yeah, kind of. What do you mean, kind of? It totally does. Ask, think... a carpent, ask a carpenter, how would you put a new roof on that? Huh, I've never roofed a house before. I'll figure that out. Why? Because that dude's got 20 years of carpentry experience. He'll sort that out. While I, while I agree, like you I'm not to, arguing to, that. Because it's true. <laughs> going, so yes going. i know what you're saying okay the route switch guys like i don't know how to do that wait a minute hold on a second i've been doing this 15 years um let me think of something uh okay i'm just gonna tie this crap in knots and then well, put a, all there, this into place there are certain prescriptive tasks that accomplish a very specific end result that if you tie all those together you can do something what i think you're telling me is that in role playing or a very creative endeavor that's very much on the fly um you don't have necessarily a set of prescriptive things to do every time you run into an egg cake. Uh, maybe. No, maybe. Uh, okay. Kind of. I mean, there is a component of it. Don't get. Okay. So let me set the record straight. When you play or do, when you play role playing games and you play them over and over and you have more experience, mm -hmm. 
there are times that your creativity will be peaked and you'll be able to look at a problem and solve it in a creative way because you might have done that five sessions ago, five years ago, mm-hmm. and you've learned from some of those mistakes or whatever. Yes. And you can learn, you can potentially learn systems faster. Oh, yes. This role is a 3D6 straight down the line or 4D6 take the best three. Yeah, I don't have to explain that to certain people. Right. Because they just know what that means. Correct. I agree. They're in the lingo. They've got the experience. I think there is a more concrete component to some of those arguments. In other words, if you're talking rules, they can be very, very literal. You read the book, it's an instruction manual. You read five instruction manuals based around a particular system or theory you tend to absorb some of that. I mean, it's academia, man. You like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you kind of learn this shit and kind of apply it when it needs to be. But then there is also the creative, comp- and maybe it's not even, maybe it needs to be separated from player to GM. Yeah, and I, I would also say, though, I mean, there are acting classes. There are improv classes. Sure. There are places people go to find mechanisms, tools, tricks, tips, exercises, to help you be better at those things. And and people practice them. Yes, and mm-hmm. see what I did there? I know, I like it. I think some of those, uh, they, they can unlock a key. So a lot of things that I run into, uh, do I run into? I don't know if I run into those. But there are instances where people don't know what they don't know. Okay. Or we, we were talking about this, Brett. So Brett and I, during the board meeting, one of the things we brought up is doing a video, in, an encounter doing a video. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like you run a three-room dungeon. and um, With four players. With four players and video it. And then? And then play it back. And all four players take each section of it and basically like a DVD commentary. You play, you play the video for a while, then you stop. Right, And the game master says, this is what I was thinking when this happened. This is why I made these choices, because I read the table. I saw blah, 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 blah. I took this into account, and that's why I made the goblins do X. And then you pass over to player one and go, yeah, I was kind of shocked that the goblins did that. But, you know, hearing you say that makes sense. It didn't make a lot of sense at the time. But later on, when when the Medusa showed up, I totally understood what you had to say. And whoop, you're gone. Right. But what, what I was telling Brett is that there are individuals that will watch shows, they will read books, and they will want to game master, and they will feel... And it goes back to the encounter thing that I mentioned, I don't know, five episodes ago, six episodes ago, when we were talking about people not knowing what they don't know and how they would tackle something. And so going to the... I'm all over the place right now. But the improv class that Brett talks about is, well, how do you become a better improvisational person? And it's not because they will show you how to do different things to become more like the yes and. But, but you have you to do it. Yes, you have to do it. But it's also not, you're doing that because they're bringing it to your attention. Oh, got it. Okay, yeah, yeah Right? Yeah. It's not, it may not even be learning. It's just like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Now that I can see that, it's like a mastermind group. You ever, you know what a mastermind group is, Brett? I it's think okay I if you do. Don't. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I've had so, this described. Keep going. A mastermind group is when you get like four people that are maybe trying to achieve something. Maybe they're all trying to leave their day jobs and they all have certain 
backgrounds and experiences. And so you join a group and the uh, and an analogy is is it's you are in on the inside of a bottle trying to read the outside of the label. Okay. It's hard. You could do yeah, it. I think so. You can do it, but it's hard. So the mastermind group is everybody standing on the outside of the bottle, reading you the label. So what they're to do is to kind of give you ideas that you can't see because you're on the inside. You're too close. You're you're not looking. You're not able to see things clearly for whatever reason. And so they kind of point things out and you go, oh, that makes sense. A perfect analogy is that when they're at Apollo, Apollo 11, the movie, and they're stranded, the guys go Apollo into 13. a room. I think that's 13, actually. Apollo 13, whatever. One of those one Apollo of those movies. Uh, the one that was really effed up. Like, But they go into a room and they dump a box on the table and they say, these are all the things that are that they have access in their space capsule. And if we don't find a way to use all these things so that they can survive, they're screwed. That's a perfect example of a mastermind. It's the being able to accomplish something with using multiple people, their brains. Yeah. It's so it's those um almost those corny team building exercises where like, hey, how do you, you know, drop sixteen ping pong balls down the chute only using toothpicks or something? You know, whatever the fuck it is you're trying to do. I've done some weird ass team building great, shit. It's just dumb analogy, as hell. Brett. It was weird there were ping pong <laughs> balls, toothpicks involved, I think macaroni or something. I don't know. I was making macaroni. art or what the fuck ever. It was dumb as shit. Anyway, um you've got a pre so what I'm saying is these when you have something like that and you and you you listen to a podcast, you read a book, you watch something, you go, Oh, I never thought to do this with a goblin encounter. That's great. That's one that's one thing you've learned, right? You learned that thing. Someone read that that piece of the label on the outside of that bottle to you. They told you yeah. it's called ointment. You're like, Great, ointment. I never fucking knew that. And then the next time you go to your gaming table. And you learn this thing about how you want to, what you think is a really cool way to, to run a goblin fight. You need to implement the goblin fight in that cool idea you had and be ready for it to fail, to go sideways, to go better than you expected or what have you. But what I'm, what I guess what I'm saying is all that stuff you're learning, that mastermind stuff you get, those, those tips, those tricks, the pieces and parts you pick up, you need to implement it. Because otherwise, if all, if you're going to armchair game master, armchair player, you've got great ideas and so forth, but you have to bring them to the table because that's where the truth is. The reality of the game is right there at the table, whether it be it virtual or in, in reality. At a certain point, when you've got a really good idea of how to run a Master Narlothotep experience because of something you read or someone turned a light bulb on for you, read you the outside of the bottle, you have to bring it to the table. Well, it's and assuming it's good. You, you, probably, you probably think it is. I mean, oh, this, yeah. this, this is a piece. This is what I'm saying is that you're going to try something and say, I always want to do a funny Scottish accent for my dwarf, and I figured out how to do it. So I'm going to show up at the game table. I'm going to try it. You have to be ready to look potentially like an idiot or make it not work quite right, or it kind of stumbles. Ah, I, I can't do it. I quit. I tried this silly accent. Everybody kind of giggle at me. Ah, oh, well, whatever. I'm back to being whomever. That's fine. And I think... One of the things that's scary for game masters and even players is doing is you saw a thing, you learned a thing, you read a thing, you listened to a thing. You're like, wow, that's be a really cool way to play a bard. I really like that thing that Sean mentioned about that wizard and playing my wizards like that. You come to the table, you have to try it to see, to actually get any use out of it. And you may have to try it five times. You may have to try it 
not 10,000 hours probably, but you got to try it a few different times, a couple different ways to see how to make it work for you. If you show up and you say, well, I need to try, I read all this stuff. I read the book. I watched an actual play. I listened to a podcast. I did this thing. I'm going to run D&D. It was abysmal fucking failure. No one had any fun. This game sucks. It's not for me. You did it once. It's going to take more than one, right? Sometimes horrible galactic abysmal failure will drive somebody away from anything, right? If you have a horrible experience, you're not going to want to do it. But when you try to run the goblins in that new way, or you want to run that paladin different than you've done before or than you've seen, and it doesn't work right, that's okay. We've talked about getting okay with failure, but the only way to get it better than that, people say, oh, I failed. I'm no good at that. You have to keep trying. Well, and looking well, for a game system, a to, say looking for a game system's mechanics to save you from having to try and to practice, I think is isn't going to happen. Well, you're also assuming that they can learn from the mistake of doing that thing, because if it does fail and they keep doing it and it still sucks and it never succeeds, you need to hang that shit up. That's that's the definition of insanity. Bang your head against the wall. Yes. Like, wow, it's so good when I stop. Yeah, stop doing that. Right. Exactly. So there is a difference between practice and learning. Well, yeah, you, you have to practice a thing and be aware of the results. Right. I guess, you know, I practiced, yes. I tried this thing. I tried to run the goblins the way Brett and Sean thought goblins should be run. It'd be really cool. Um, wow. I, <laughs> that didn't go over well at all. I go back and say, wow, that that didn't work. Wow. What, That's what? every episode we've ever recorded. Like, oh, I yeah, tried exactly. What, exactly what they said, and, and it, it didn't, didn't work worth a shit. Like, argh, I don't know what these guys are doing. But I guess what I'm saying, though, is we're that... We're going to nail it on the next episode. <laughs> totally. That's the, that's the key. Episode 300. We'll we're get gonna you We're going to nail it on the next episode. But I, jokes aside, though, what you just said there is pretty much it. You got to take that, learn from it, go, well, that didn't work. I'm going to try something different again. You have to try it again. Whether it be that exact same way to run the goblin fight or a slightly different way to do it, or you've tweaked it based on what you just learned, this group likes or hates or whatever. But... It's interesting to me when to go back to what what one of our listeners asked and what Tim and what Tim and I talked about briefly is yes, mechanics can inform play. Actually, they should. Really good game mechanics help to inform play. Um, I think anyway, and and so on. But if you're looking at game mechanics or a, a game system itself in, in whatever way that it's supposed to shortcut or it's going to make that learning curve smaller, easier, shorter. I think what happens is that somebody found a groove. They started playing Savage Worlds and went, I get, oh my God, this game, oh, this game, it has all this stuff. It really allows me to do blah, 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 blah. And older guys and younger people and other people who are well-read and played many games will look at that person and say, awesome, I'm glad you found a cool game. That sounds like it's just the game for you. Oftentimes, in the back of our head, we're like, um, you can do the same thing with GURPS. You can do the same thing with oh, this. Oh, God. Because, hey, Savage Rules is bullshit. Savage Rules is a universal system. So is GURPS, man. They're not the same, though. I know, because you are a different person than me. And what you need to help enable your gaming and for you to learn and be really good at what you like to do and a really good space for you to hang out is that, right? It's like, does that make sense? It does. Mechanics help you express and become better and so forth because it provides you a thing that you like to practice with. My son likes to play the drums, AJ. He's a good drummer. 
He's no Neil Pert yet. Although Neil's dead, so he's probably better than Neil. Ha-ha. Oh, oh too, on, too soon? Man. Too soon. Come that was too soon. On, okay. Anyway, point point being, <sighs> he likes playing the drums. He tried a couple different instruments in, in band and did not like them. Drums are what he likes. He practices drums. He likes to do it. He likes to go to drum lessons. He has a good time learning new solos and figuring things out and so on because he's found a jam that he can practice in. And I think when I hear people, I'm wandering here a bit, but I think when I hear people say, this game is totally my jam, you know, <clears throat> Savage Worlds or Gumshoe or what have you, this is absolutely it. it. You have found a place or multiple places, if you're lucky, lots of different games you really love that you can practice in and that you feel comfortable, you know, trying all this different stuff. And you know that if you, if you fail, it's okay. And you don't have a knee-jerk reaction of this game sucks type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because you know what? If I suck at the drums, I can play bass. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I then like... I practice it then. Kick ass. Yeah, maybe that's your thing. You know? Maybe. Yeah, holy maybe. shit. Wow. Yeah. I, I just, I, I really think, hmm. My kids, and the other thing that brought this to my mind was my kids, Alana will say, I'm not as good a dungeon master as you. I said, Alana, honey, you're 11. You know, you, you don't have the time in. Yeah, don't give your old man that much credit, Christ. Yeah, exactly. For God's <laughs> sakes. You know what I mean? If the only thing you've ever had is a saltine cracker, it's the best uh, damn food you've ever had, you know? You, you've never had, you never had Ritz. Hey, oh you my God. You should tell her to talk to people like me and, and some other of the folks that have played it. Like, have her talk to Lenny. Lenny would say, he's not that damn good. Actually, my friends say far too <laughs> nice of things to my kids. No one ever tells them the truth. <laughs> They're just trying to build them up to tear them down later. <laughs> but I, I hear I hear that sometimes, or I'll see that online from people who are less experienced and like, oh my God, I'll never be blah, blah, blah. And I know that's sometimes oh, a thing you, you feel and you'll see. It's been called like the Mass Mercer effect and other crap like that, which I give no credence to. But sometimes people look at someone like that and say, wow, he's really good. I wish I could do that. You may not have the chops for that. I may not have the chops for that. I don't even know how the hell a guy runs, never watched him. But the only way you're going to get better at it and continually be a really good 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons Dungeon Master is to practice at it. And to be a really good 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons player, you need to keep playing that game. Right? You need to keep doing it. If you're having fun with it, you know, you're, you're getting better, you're having a good place, you have a really good time with it, you found a jam you can hang out with and you can practice in that feels good for you. If you really want to play Call of Cthulhu, right? And you've got people like, yeah, let's play Call of Cthulhu, but you're sitting at the table... And you're the only one who's into it. And the rest of the group doesn't seem to be that invested. You know, people are checking their phone all the time. No one seems to know what what turn, whose turn is what, what they're supposed to do, blah, blah, blah. These are people who are not having fun. They're not even practicing playing anymore because for whatever reason, they're just not having a good time. But I mean, I guess where I'm going is if you want to be a better Game Master player, you need to practice. And yes, sometimes you need to find your drum set or your bass bass guitar set or go to your improv class version of whatever that is of RPG land and say, this is my jam. I really like fate. I, I do all my gaming to fate because that's where I'm really comfortable. And that's really what I like to do. And that's totally fine. Not everybody plays 15 instruments. Some people play one and they're really fucking good at it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think, like I said, what kind of drove me to think about this initially was when People were asked and when Tim was on the show, like, hey, which mechanics help you be a better role player? I don't think I could go through and say, 
oh, these mechanics, if everybody used these, and I'm speaking way off from what the what our listener asked us, is like, oh, you take these five mechanics, slap them in, that will make you a better role player. I don't believe that. I think what some of that does is, to your point, Sean, that's the masterclass piece. That's the right masters outside the bottle talking to you. You found the right group of men and women in that mechanic for this analogy here that have said, hey, um, this is what the outside of the bottle says to you. Because that game system has a mechanism in it that does that for you, which is great. And that's one of the cool things about having so damn many RPGs out there. If you tried D&D and didn't like it, it doesn't mean that role-playing games aren't for you. It may mean that D&D isn't for you. And that your real jam is, you know, Call of Cthulhu or Savage Worlds or something else. You're like, I played that. Freaking loved it. That's awesome. It's, you know, that's where you should be practicing. Looking for a mechanic, they can drag around saying, do this and you'll be a better game master, lose 15 pounds, get a promotion, Blah, blah, blah. It's not going to happen. There's no miracle mechanic cure, I guess, in my opinion. But I kind of went off the rails there. Sorry. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I understand and I agree. Awesome. That's yeah. all I ever wanted, Sean. I just want yeah. you and me to Practice have understanding. Makes perfect. Well, it makes better anyway. Makes better. Yeah. So tell us how you're practicing. What's in your practice? Yeah. A regimen. I know we talked about this a little bit. Like when you, when I'm going to do something, a new game system, I'm like, hey, it's going to be a sci-fi game. I tend to watch movies, TVs and stuff. How do you get inspired by a thing? Is that considered part of your practice? What are you doing when you go, when you're, when you're gaming, you know, do you think of it as like, hey, I tried something new and it didn't work, but that's okay. Yeah, it's just a game I'm practicing. I'll, I'll get better next time. Uh, is that even a thing in people's heads? I don't know. Or maybe I'm being a bizarrely cerebral about something that doesn't need to be cerebral. Well, that maybe. I mean, being cere cerebral isn't necessarily a bad thing. Maybe not. We'll find out. Anyway, let us know what you think of this chicanery. Let's move on. All right. Let's get into die roll. Die roll. First one. Beer has D&D-style game right on the label. Yeah, baby. Interesting. Check out Modest Brewing. We'll have a link to the article. I should probably link to Modest Brewing. But that looks fun. Good for <laughs> Modest. That looks interesting. Well, what are the second, beers going to get? Second one is very science-oriented. Scientists finds, quote-unquote, evidence of another universe before this one. Article on physics-astronomy.org. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, well, that was us in another dimension. That I mean, there, problem solved. Problem there solved. There you go. Yeah. yeah. You use that, King of Yellow, Carcosa, boom, all over, baby. Dude, I could have told you guys that. <laughs> I just... Nice. <laughs> Fantasy Flight Games RPG Division. Going bye-bye? All kinds of shit's hitting the fan about this one. So if you're a Fantasy Flight Games fan, I don't know. I guess you go on a raging buying spree on all their role-playing stuff, but it's too bad. I don't know who knows what happened or is going to happen. 
I don't yeah. think they've put out an official statement yet. Yeah, everything I've seen is speculation. I think, like in this article, there's some speculation regarding the sale of companies to each other, uh, Fancy Flight Owners as Modi, which is owned by PAI Partners, who bought it from Rosario, but it's all, it's all conjecture. It is. Right? But- Other than the fact that there's a shit ton of staff that aren't working there anymore, and it looks like they said they're going to discontinue RPGs. So, I don't know. The D20 radio guys, I know, do uh, the Star Wars uh, podcast and RPG podcast. Mm-hmm. And I know they have had pretty consistent presence with FFG staff members being on their show. And I know they've got a, a pretty good rapport with those guys and they've become friends. So oh, okay. I'm sure that one of them went to them and said, okay, here's the deal that I, you know, I'm not working there. They're going to, Shit can the RPG division, whatever. And D20 Radio published it. That's where the source was. Hmm. So, you know, I don't know. It'll be disappointing because I think a lot of their products are pretty decent. So, yeah. Bummer. Yeah, it is. Oh, sucks. Yeah. I feel bad for the people out of work, too. That's a bummer. Yeah. If like, hey, if it was only a part-time job, that that was a job with income and stuff. <laughs> stuff that suddenly people don't have anymore. That's that kind of sucks. A lot of them go to the video game industry. I think sometimes become writers and yeah, and then a lot of people leave the video game industry after that eats them and spits them out. From what I've heard, yeah, can be tough. I don't know. Yeah, that that whole world is. I, I can't imagine. Now, if you follow Dennis Detweiler on Twitter, one, it's good nihilistic. The world's ending fun. But uh, he talks about how occasionally how he chose the path like, okay, I did that. Yeah, that sucks. I'm doing this thing now. I'm ha- I've never been happier type of deal. Yeah. Well, anyways, that's it for die roll. We didn't have anything else. Brett, what are we talking about next? We've had a couple people in the forums uh, kind of dredge up an old topic that we've had soundtracks and sound effects in our RPGs. So we're going to talk about that next time. Wow. Yeah, we'll pull that out and see where we can go with it. What are we doing after that? Probably have to talk about practicing using those things so we get good at them. Um, after that, let's see here. So we have that. We're going to talk about innovations in the okay. RPG industry. Okay. The only reason I say that because the sound effects might tie into that. Oh, it very well may. So I'm, yeah. I was thinking about sound effects first and then doing the innovation. It's like, hey, tying yeah. off that. So yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we've yeah, got yeah, a little good. back-to-back action yeah, there. Yeah, that's good. That's there good stuff. Go. Yeah, cool. All right, cool. All right, man. Well, let's. What are we sitting around for? Let's get this show out, and then the next one quick. Exactly. Yeah, something like that. All right. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Sean, and I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers: Curtis Takahashi, Joe Swick, Aaron Raylia, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig. Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Grave, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Howard Bishop, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Rich Wishon, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Jared Rasher, Andy Hall, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Brian Rumble, Henry Newcomb, Eric Telvola, Husk Carl, Roger Brassick, Mark Soam, Andy Hall, Eric Avila, Ron Blessing, Jeff Seifert, 
Ghost GM, Mike Hess, Angus, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Rory Weston. It's Rory, not Corey. Curtis Hinson, Chad Gleyman, Finolf, Josh Wallace, and Merkel Froelich. Hey, to help out with the show, tell somebody to listen to us. Make them listen to us. Demand they listen to us. Tell them to put Gaming and BS in their favorite podcatcher app. Have them subscribe. Thanks, BSers. This, this has, has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.